0: This week, we have a special guest, Matt N3NWV from Parks on the Air, talking about the 2023 plaque event, updates from Winter Field Day, the latest news from ARRL, and much more. Welcome to the ham radio guy and good morning, afternoon, whatever time you might be listening to this podcast. It's your host Marvin W zero M E T. We're bringing you the latest of topics, news and information each week right here to this uh, show. So uh, please hit that subscribe button and uh, listen to us here on the podcast. You can find us on Apple and uh, pod bean uh Different podcast form forms. I'd like to go ahead and welcome into the uh, show this morning, Matt Neer in Three nwv WV. Good morning, Matt.
1: Good morning, Marvin. Yeah, and, and nobody nobody gets that uh, that last name right. You did you did pretty good. Oh. <laughs> I had to move back from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh to, to get the analogy to work, so it's okay. <laughs> well, how do you pronounce that last name? Uh, It's here with an H and I have to tell people it's like John Deere tractors, which, uh, which works great here in Western Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. They looked at me like I had three heads,
0: like what's a tractor. (laughs) Ah. Of course. Got to love that sound. Um, well, good. Um, well, uh, you know, we had talked a little bit here in the pre show here, but uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. And, uh, uh, you know, I guess we were saying you got started in POTA back in like 2018. And then now you're uh, kind of a communications director, uh, public relations for POTA. So, uh, kind of, how, how did you get to that point?
1: Yeah. So, I. I got into HF with the QRP rig at the bottom of Solar Cycle 24, which was was not working real well, frankly. And then POTA came along and provided the activators who really, really, really wanted my QSO and were willing to fish my terrible signal out of the noise. And it's funny how HF is more fun when you are actually making contacts. <laughs> so, oh, for sure. Yeah. I got got into uh, POTA pretty hard uh, back in 2018, 2019. I'd I'd have to go and look. And at the time, I was working pretty hard on my own YouTube channel, which is an eclectic uh, mix of of who knows what. I have to tell people my hobby is collecting hobbies. And that (laughs) seems to be (laughs) what my channel reflects. My wife would probably say the same. Yeah, right. I think it's common, common affliction. And I, I ended up, I made a video about configuring AC log from oh. uh, Scott Davis, N3FGP, for Poda Great use, program. Which caught, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I love it. And Scott is, he's a stand-up guy. For sure. So it's a, a real pleasure to work with. Anyway, Jason Johnson, W3 Alpha Alpha X-ray, who's the administrator for Poda. <clears throat> caught that video. I think he might have actually used it to set up his own computer and then contacted me and we started talking about the need for just video-based training content for the Parks on the Air organization. We've had written docs forever and ever and ever, but uh, you know, nobody enjoys reading documentation. Uh, it, and they should in our case. I, I think it's really, really good, and especially now that it's been moved over to the new poda.app site, It's in fantastic shape. The doc team has done a great job but we like to be all encompassing where we can. So, written content and and video content. And I agreed to I sort of backburnered my own channel. It's been probably going on a year now since I posted anything on my personal channel to start working on making some content for POTA. And then as the organization has grown, we've had people show up and say, "Well, your YouTube presence is great. Your Facebook presence is great, but..." POTA also needs a Discord server and an Instagram feed and a Twitter account. And it's just the world of social media as we know it. And I was not going to take on being responsible for all of those platforms. But uh, having, I'm, I'm so we're sort of the old guy in the room. So what Jason asked me to do was, was just serve sort of as a coordinator. Make sure that when we get to things like this plaque event, that we don't put a confusing and conflicting message out there so that when we do release information, it's actually helpful for people.
0: Right, makes sense, so that's cool.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good gig, and, and I have to say every time I get invited to uh, something like a podcast or a live stream, that I, I'm really very fortunate to be one of a handful of sort of public faces for what has grown to be a very large organization, well over 100 people, volunteering to help with the administration of poda so i try really hard not to take more credit than is is due me because i'm sort of just the messenger right there's other people doing all the real work
0: right so did um i mean when it changed from having all the volunteers are out there having to email your log to you know k0 at um, you know, parksontheair.com to upload your log back, you know, call it maybe a year ago uh, to now you just upload your own log. Uh, did that really change much for staffing? And then, Well, it shifted the workload. Okay. The
1: regional coordinators are the people who were behind the curtain of email your log to K-whatever at parksontheair.com. And the regional coordinators spent a lot of time working on importing those logs. Now that that is a self-service process, the regional coordinators have a lot more time to focus on helping with discussions about, well, is this a park, is this not a park, whatever, working with the mapping coordinators or helping to coach someone who's new to Parks on the Air through what they need to do. There's there's still plenty for the regional coordinators to do, but it did free up a lot of time for them to, I don't know, do, do things other than logs, obviously. Uh, although it is still an option if, if you really, really have no idea how to use the, the POTA website, which is hard to imagine, but th- there's a couple of folks who, who still do it the old way.
0: Definitely some people that still struggle with it, for sure.
1: Yeah, well, it's uh with 35,000 people in the program, you're you know, you're bound to run into a, a wide range of skill sets and available technologies and, and whatever else. So, that's okay. Where we've seen a big increase in workload is the help desk. Oh. So, there's now a button next to I uploaded a log and either it, it went poorly or it went fine and I found out I had a mistake later. I need to click this button and generate a help desk ticket and get them to you know, add, delete, change, do something with that log, and that that process used to only be visible to the regional coordinator and and the person who had submitted the log. They took care of that sort of privately via email. Well, now it's a help desk ticket that the whole of the help desk and admin staff sees, and frankly, the number of them is a little a little disturbing. Uh, we certainly appreciate people uploading their logs in a timely fashion, but it. it It's okay if it's 10 minutes later, right? (laughs) Eyeball it at least once before you hit the submit button. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I get I fat fingered a call or something like that down in the weeds. Maybe you don't find out about for a while. But when when you know you were at a park in Colorado and the uploader says you're uploading a park for Maine, You ought to notice that before you hit the okay button.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I I know there's been one where I've fat fingered a number and, you know, definitely noticed it myself uh, where I was, I didn't, I didn't notice it until after the fact. And I went back and looked at my log and I was like, I never worked a park in, in you know Colorado, and it's like, all right, let me go figure out what park that number is and correct that. And I've had to e- email you know the the rep, uh, like the zero rep, back and say, hey, I realize this should have been parked you know zero six seven three instead of six seven zero three or something. You know. Um, yeah. Well, and with the old process, that was that was
1: real real easy to do because you didn't get any instantaneous ver- validation of the log file. No. The email system would let you email. You could email your grandma's recipe for tuna casserole and write the email system would would take it. Yeah. (laughs) The log uploader, as soon as you drop the file on there, it does the immediate parsing and it says, okay, here's the park that I think you were at. And here's the number of CUSOs that I think you had. Even before you hit the upload button, it does that level of parsing. So. I, and I don't I don't want to come off as, as like this is some humongous problem. We have thousands of logs that get uploaded successfully, no problem. And it's tens or dozens where we have to go back and make corrections. So it's pretty small percentage. Almost everybody's doing a fantastic job. Uh, just to understand that if you're in a hurry and you make a careless mistake, there's someone on the other end who has to burn volunteer
0: time to help you fix it. So spend that time wisely, please. Well, good. I, I think that's a great message to send out to people, and definitely let them know. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's that's great to share that. And thanks for coming from the from the parks on the air side and, and giving that information. Um, but it's my understanding there's also kind of a big event that's coming up here. Uh, June third and fourth is uh, my date, I believe, uh, for the, the, the annual plaque event award. Um, Correct, the so. annual plaque event, which has. Morphed and
1: changed, but is sort of the same. Yeah, we're uh, <clears throat> we, we've had this plaque event since 2018. It's oh, it's not, been going that long. Yeah, it's not really entirely new for 2023. It's just kind of
0: revamped a little bit.
1: <laughs> What's new for 2023 is that we have sort of cut the cord, if you will. We have realized that this plaque event is just going to grow and has a life of its own. And for an assortment of reasons needs a set of rules that is slightly different from day to day parks on the air. So rather than it being in years past, it was a kind of a sort of a support your parks weekend on steroids. If you will, it was, it was still a, a part of POTA. Sure. 2023, this is a separate event sponsored by the Parks on the Air organization. There is a clear divide between POTA and day-to-day POTA, which continues unchanged, marches on, and frankly can be done as is even on the plaque event weekend, versus the plaque event weekend is now a separate standalone thing, m- much like Winterfield Day or Field Day or 13 colonies or anything else that uh, that is a distinct event.
0: Yes, those are some great events, too. <laughs> yeah, they are. So uh, what um, there, there's there's several awards that are given to that. Uh, what are some of the awards that are given out on this plaque event? The plaque categories are
1: remain unchanged from previous years, uh, with one notable exception that that we'll get to. For the most part, they're what you would think they would be. There are awards for activators and hunters that are largely the same. It's who worked the most parks and who made the most contacts. Total phone CW data. And for the activators there's the additional category of the rover like how many parks did you go to wow. which obviously doesn't make any sense for hunters because hunters don't have to submit logs right a hunter could hunt from a hundred locations and there'd be no way for us to know so that rover category does not exist for hunters but everything else is pretty much the same and we have dedicated categories for the various iaru regions and the, the category for IARU Region Two explicitly excludes the lower forty-eight states of the U.S. Okay, um, it's uh, it's it's designed to pota is is very much an international thing. We're in I think 140 countries now, so it's uh, it's definitely not U.S. centric anymore. <laughs> But the preponderance of the the QSOs do get made by one one side of the QSO at least is a U.S. operator, so we decided to exclude them from uh, from the IARU region categories because they already have uh, not an unfair advantage. Uh, it's just it's based on participation, but uh, they have a pretty good shot at the most whatever
0: plaques already. So it's a <laughs> playing field leveling tactic. Right. There's a, I mean, I know there's people that will, I mean, literally go out and activate a park every day. And then there's, uh, you know, other people who have been trying to like get the, um, kind of the support behind it to go out and literally see the, how many parks they can activate in a 24-hour period. I mean, it's like some yeah. of these people, these people make it a competition nowadays in some ways. <laughs> it, it gets to be well, almost kind of crazy in some ways.
1: Yeah, so again, to, for the plaque event itself, um, you know, there is obviously, there's there's first place prizes for this. So it's a competitive event. Oh, definitely, <laughs> And there are, yeah, there are definitely already people planning, uh, particularly the folks who want that rover category. They, they want that plaque for I went and activated the most parks. That takes planning, <laughs> a significant amount of planning to lay out your route and the logistical support, because obviously we we want everybody to stay safe. We don't want anybody out there driving from park to park on no sleep for 39 hours or something like that. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of planning that goes into that one.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's... I, I mean, I, I know people will literally, like, make designated... I mean, almost like uh, big QSO parties, they will... If they're rovers, they will set their vehicle up and they will uh like have their hf rig in their vehicle and they have like uh maybe like a wolf river coil in the back and all they have to do is get out of the vehicle pull out the tripod for the wolf river coil screw the antenna on top and they are you know run the cable to the uh, to the vehicle to the radio and they're back on the air operating again they'll make their 10 or 15 contacts go break that antenna down, throw it back in their vehicle in the trunk or in the back of the truck and they are back onto the next park and they're driving to where they need to go. So, yeah, I mean, that's like quick setups and, you know, how small can I make this and how quick can I make it, you know? Sure. Well, and POTA doesn't even really require you get out of the vehicle. You could
1: have a mobile rig, you could have a a hamstick stuck on top of the thing or mounted permanently and if you want to uh, set up in the in the back of a, an RV with an antenna on it and you, <laughs> you have a fleet of drivers, right? <laughs> Somebody to drive, <laughs> drivers in shifts, so you don't have to, to drive tired. Um, you know, people do all, all sorts of, of crazy things. For uh, sure. But having said that, the two categories that we added this year are Rookie Activator and Rookie Hunter. We did that specifically so that all these people who have joined parks on the air and the growth has just it continues to be sort of logarithmic. It's it's really
0: incredible to see how many people have joined. You said there was what, 35,000 sure pre-show, 35,000 actual activators there. Yeah, there
1: are um, north of 35,000 people signed up for. Parks on the air at this point, so thirty-five thousand plus people that actually have an account wow. in the uh, the Parks on the Air system. However, if you go and look at the QSO database, uh, what you find out is that there are over three hundred and fifty thousand unique call signs in the POTA database. So you know, these are people who. We're spinning the dial and heard someone calling CQ and and answered them or or whatever. So they aren't necessarily active participants in parks in the air, but they are—they're available, right? They—they could be. So we have an awful lot of folks that uh, that could potentially
0: join the organization yet. So I mean, and as they do, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Marvin. So I say for the rookie event, they have I've uh, never activated a park, and this is the first time out. This will be they'll be considered the rookie for that. Uh,
1: Their first
0: activation has to have been on or
1: after June. I don't know if we're going to count it as the second or the third. It's within 365 days of the event. So if your first Pota Cuso as a hunter was June second. 2022 or later, you qualify as a rookie hunter. If your first ever POTA activation was June 2nd, 2022
0: or later, you qualify as a rookie activator. So this is actually going back to 2022. It's not actually within a year. Within the year. So it's It's not a year previous to, to the event. So it's not going actually back to the starting of like if it's June, was it, I think it's June 3rd and 4th, I think it was, or is it June 2nd and 3rd? Uh,
1: It's June 3rd and
0: 4th, UTC. Okay. And that's it.
1: So for those of us here in the States, it actually starts Friday evening, June 2nd. Right.
0: Um, So it's not just actually being a a first-time activator or or hunter uh, that weekend. It's actually going back one year, and if this is your... uh, for, you know, anytime, anytime since June of last year, you would then qualify for that event. Yeah. If you
1: have basically, if you have been in POTA in whatever role, hunter or activator for a year or less, then you qualify as a, as a rookie. And I should note, this is the first year that we've had that category. And it's the first year that we're running the event as a separate standalone event from POTA with the rule changes and whatever else. And so we honestly expect to learn some stuff. We expect to get some feedback from the user community on the changes are positive, the changes are negative, you should also make this change, whatever. No promises that the plaque event 2024 is going to look exactly like the plaque event 2023. Uh, If we need to make some more tweaks, we will. But uh, for this year at least, one of our sort of guiding principles was change it as little as possible from day-to-day poda and previous plaque events so what well, we made for some the, reason that
0: seems like a you know deja vu type of thing you know uh as we were kind of discussing getting pre-show the you know i'm the president of the winter field day and director for that now uh and we took it over last June. We had about six months to get our crap together to <laughs> figure out, you know, exactly what uh, we needed to do, what was all involved, rebuild the website, uh, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And it was like, all right, this is how we're going to kind of keep it the same this year. Uh, but 2024 may look completely different from what 2023 is, from what we want to be able yeah. to do with that. So uh, <laughs> I, I know your feelings around that. I think we we share some similarities there in that regard. So. Sure.
1: Sure. Well, um, and it's just, it's the realities of when you're, you are this whole thing is a hobby run by volunteers. Absolutely. So it needs to be fun. It needs to be fun for the people participating. It needs to be, you know, at least not a major headache <laughs> for the people running it. Um, oh, I think there's a few of those, but. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it's inevitable. Uh, it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. Um, I one of my best friends is a, is a pastor, and he you know, he always shakes his head at uh, how it just how upset uh, people can get over. You know, a volunteer activity in the name of the Lord, right? And this this person is is off in the corner crying. So, I don't
0: think it's just ham radio. Yeah, um, I suppose not. People will find a way to complain about something. So, well,
1: that's all right.
0: That's all right. Yeah, so, I mean, that's what we found we, out too from Winterfield Day's side. It's like you're going to please some. You're not going to make everybody happy. But you know, uh, you know, we've seen people write emails and saying, "Hey, you know, your events are great. We love it. You know, keep it going. You're doing a great job." And other people going, "I'm never doing this again. I'm done with Winter." Field day, and it's like, well, I don't want to tell you, you know. It's just like we're doing everything we can, but I'm sure it's the same way with parks. I'm sure you get people complaining and and writing about things, and why can't you do this, or, or why isn't this, you know, uh, having issues? Well, here's or, a so gr- here's a great simple example that um, I think I can
1: I can share without stepping on anybody's toes. The reality of life at this point is that we've run out of weekends. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you
1: cannot schedule anything on any weekend without it conflicting with something else. Oh, for sure. Because there's only 52 weekends and there's more than 52 things going on. So the very first feedback that we got when we announced the new plaque event was just a stream of how could you possibly have picked those dates? Didn't you know you conflict with this and you conflict with that? And this it's also, oh, my Lord, it's the, you know, uh, Martian contact fest or whatever. (laughs) And and I I get it. Everybody has their thing that they're into. And so it's really really, really important to them. And if they, if they have a conflict between two or three things that they're into, it's a problem for them. I get it. I have, I have two teenage kids, so we've got conflicts daily.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm sure you do. Well, you, know, uh, you just,
1: going you to just dance, have to, to, baseball, you have to work through it. You have to, yeah, you have to understand that it's just the reality of the calendar. There's, there's not enough time for everything to get its own slot. Yeah, so man. my apologies if our event steps on your event,
0: but life is full of choices. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's, you know, there's a contest, I think, if you look at the AWR calendar, there's just about a contest every weekend of some sort going on. I mean, there's a big, uh, this March, uh, or, you know, March 3rd and 4th here, uh, there's a a big DX uh, uh, expedition uh, or a DX contest this weekend is what's going on. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I was just talking to Spain and Italy and Portugal and everything last night, it was just blowing up in the 20 meters. It was crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think you'll find many weekends that where you can't have some conflict with something. And, you know, it's not, it's going to be my daughter's wedding that weekend. I, you know, I, I can't participate and yeah, <laughs> it's going to be something, but yeah,
1: right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and that's even just the, the conflicts with the published ham radio calendar. there's, all of the... Well, there's other ham radio calendars like ham fests and, and some club had an activity and, and whatever else. Yep, We don't even have any visibility into. Somebody will, will write in and say, do you know you scheduled your event on our ham fest weekend? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. I, <laughs> I wouldn't have done anything different anyway. How was what I do supposed you want me to, to know? do? For sure. Uh, so uh, Then you start throwing in people's personal con- conflicts and it's just... Uh, it's just the reality of things. It uh, it is when it is. It, it ain't moving. Do your best. And so if this year doesn't work out for you. There's always next year.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so my question would be: So the the plaque event is that is that weekend? Uh, so when will like results be handed out from there? The logs are due by the eighteenth. Okay. So you gotta submit them within within about two weeks then roughly. So um,
1: Yeah. Yeah, you've got about two weeks to submit the logs and I we, we don't have a date set for okay. it. last year we did a, an award show live stream on the PODA YouTube channel. I expect we're gonna do that again. Okay. And it's actually good that we're having this conversation because that hadn't crossed my mind. <laughs> And it probably (laughs) needs, I need to start planning that like today. So, um, so yeah, stay tuned. We'll, we'll put up a placeholder on the POTA YouTube channel for the live stream. When, uh, we'll give you at least a week's notice that that's going to happen. And, and we'll, we'll announce Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else that, uh, that we're going to have it. I, I, I'm hoping that it doesn't take us more than another two weeks to sort through the logs and, and whatever else. But we do have some logic changes this year, one or two new rules for the plaque event. And we need to, there needs to be an audit, right of the, the automation will run through and it'll say, okay, here's the people that get the plaques. Well, somebody needs to eyeball that and make sure that it's correct. Yeah, uh, because some of the logic
0: is brand spanking new um so yeah for, same thing from Winterfield day we give about a month to submit the logs and then we that was just done march 1st so just three days ago and so now it's kind of getting the database put together configuring everything and i'm, I'm saying we're going to try and get it out by april 1st this year uh we have a really good guy who's doing our website that uh was also doing our database and back-end stuff, and we should have all those stats out here, I would say, within within the uh, you know the late of the month or early April, so within a month or so. But, you know, if you do, like, your some of the other contests, I mean, I, I think 13 colonies, no, it wasn't 13. Yeah, it was 13 colonies last year. I think it was, you know, three or four months Right. I got my certificate. And, you know, summer field day results are usually in, like, December. And so I was just kind of curious about a time frame around that. So if you guys are doing a yeah, well, two-week turn that's pretty that's pretty quick if all goes well
1: i i personally would like to get the results out there before we get into the fourth of july weekend and the 13 colonies event right Um, because if you if you wait we're not going to do it during 13 colonies and then there's i guess there's a week or two in there but you know, there's field days going to happen and people are going to be looking at at field day data. And I, I don't know. It just it seems like it shouldn't take that long like once everything's in the database by on on the morning of the 19th if the automation works we'll have the results well there you said it right there if it works (laughs) yeah well that's right and and in future years hopefully we won't have to make a you know many more rule changes we'll get this logic vetted we'll know it works and we really will have the results within a day or two of the deadline to submit logs but this year we, we have to go through that manual validation step and again volunteers trying not to make it a giant headache, and so that's going to take some time.
0: Yeah, and, and we, yeah, we appreciate the, all the volunteers from Parks on the Air and and even on the Winter Field Day side that we have to do our log checking on the back end and, and all the database stuff. So it, it is a, a lot of work by them. And so I, you know, just everyone out there, I just you know say you know say thank you to all of them that that are able to volunteer and help out with those hours and, and and jobs that they do to support things like you know Winter Field Day, Summer Field Day, you know the Thirteen colonies the uh, Route 66, so the Parks on the Air, you know, all those organizations that, you know, you have fun with, uh, you know, has a, you know, a, a load of back end stuff that they have to deal with to get the information to you. Um, so Yeah. And, and one of these days,
1: somebody is going to take the initiative to start like an open source software project. Because a lot of the a lot of the code is, you know, the rules are different from event to event to event. But the basic concept of I need to collect logs, validate logs, apply a rule set, and spit out some winners is pretty lather, rinse, repeat. It is. seems like something where we ought to be able to create a utility that does this. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, share it across organizations.
0: Yeah, because you're either using Kerbilla format or you're using a ADI file. Um, so, I mean, it, 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 you're right. The data is there either way. It's just now what source and, and dump mm-hmm. can you push it into? Uh, we pushed to contest.com, uh, but I think we're kind of going to the point where we may just create our own database dump and you dump it right into our own server. So, um, yeah, well, POTA
1: has the, the ongoing day to day, right? The, the, um, the achievements that you can unlock just as a regular POTA operator. So this is not contest stuff. This is along the lines of worked all states or DXCC or something. You just want to, you want to track your progress against some arbitrary goal. And you're really only competing with yourself, right? So we have to have all that logic in place all the time anyway. And so the platform is there for us to do the analysis of the logs and come up with the the results for the plaque event. It's just that the rules are slightly different. And and I guess we ought to go through that. There's two big changes to the rules for uh, the plaque event compared to normal day-to-day POTA, the first thing we had to implement in the logic, I say had to, it's a work in progress. <laughs> it's not done yet. <laughs> um, the first thing we're working on is, well, we have decided not to count the part multipliers, the what we classically call the Enver in yep. Poda lingo. Oh, yeah. So, you can go to a spot. There are lots of spots that are multiple parks—a park within a park—and a trail goes by, and the statues, a monument, and whatever else. All of that stuff in normal POTA lets you get a multiplier—two, three, four, five, whatever it is—of uh, your QSOs from that spot. Absolutely. And you—you you could still do that. You could still submit it that way if you want to. But for plaque totals, we're only going to count one of them. I'm really happy to we, do that. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, that levels the playing field for everybody. You know, because there's only so over, many...
0: There's only so yeah. many parks that, you know, people can go get a one, two, three, four, you know, uh, four, uh, you know. Uh, uh, and so if for those who can only go to maybe that park that has, you know, just Kilo, you know, dash one, two, three, four, they can't get a two for there or a three for there. Uh, right. You know, it, it levels the playing field for everybody. So it, I think that's really awesome. So that's a great idea.
1: We got... Overwhelmingly positive feedback on that suggested rule change. And, uh, well, nothing is absolute, right? Right. But (laughs) I would say the bulk of the negative feedback that we got on that suggestion came from one of two places. There's the never change anything no matter what crowd. (laughs) Change is bad. Change is always bad. Don't change anything. Right. Okay. That's not really a reason, but— it's it, it's a viewpoint. Some people have it. Uh, the other crowd that didn't like the rule change was the people who were winning because of the for rule. Exactly. <laughs> <So, laughs> I get that, right? That's also a perfectly valid viewpoint. I don't think they're wrong. They just got outvoted
0: but so, if you're on the East Coast. I mean, I can go to two for parks almost all day long. You're out in Montana, Wyoming or something. And, you know, there's like there's only one park without 100 miles I can go to to make this happen. So um, exactly. Yep, exactly. Well,
1: and that was the that was the discussion when we went down this road of, OK, if that's our goal is to level the park access playing field, how far do we go? Do we make it so that every activation has to be an hour minimum Mm. to try and normalize the, okay, you can drive to seven parks in 10 minutes, and somebody else has to drive three hours to get to one? That's not fair. No. Well, okay, maybe not, but again, we're trying to change as little as possible, and we ultimately decided there was nothing we could do that would make it completely fair across the entire planet. You know, the reality is we don't have any control over where people live or what's a park. So we decided to implement the simple rule on which we got overwhelmingly positive feedback and go with that for this year. And then we'll we'll see moving forward whether Anything else needs to be done? Frankly, I'm hoping not because as the rules get more complex, you just irritate more people and they get harder to implement and do consistently. And as a rule, simple is good.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's always uh, that way. And then I understand that completely from, again, the Winterfield Day side. So, um, yeah, is that uh, I guess you said there was two two changes to, to the rules mainly. mainly and, um, yeah. Is that, so
1: one is the elimination of the NFERS and the other is the restriction on the bands that oh, will sure be counted for black totals. Yeah. Yeah. So we have uh, the the. There's still a couple of folks who don't really want to call this a contest, and you can make a case for that viewpoint. Because if you look at a contest, there are still numerous differences between a traditional contest and the POTA event. For instance, the hunters still don't have to submit logs. There's no verification of these QSOs. We're we're going to go off the activator logs just like we do for POTA. Right. Uh, there's no fixed exchange. There's no sequence number. You're going to get a real signal report, not a five nine. So it's not it's not entirely unfair to try and differentiate between this event and a contest. But. Uh, how's the expression go right if it if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck kind (laughs) of a thing Um, this event has a start time and an end time and we're going to declare winners and send those winners physical prizes that have monetary value Uh, that is enough that just having a good clean conscience says you probably should not be on the warp bands so no 12 17 or 30 under the the guise of no contesting on, on the work bands, like whether whether you want to call this a contest or not, you probably and you, you could certainly um, only 0.4 percent of our QSOs or something like that were on those bands anyway. Right. So, so it's a pretty small price to pay
0: just to be a good amateur radio
1: citizen, which is something we we strive to
0: do. Absolutely. And, and the other thing would be, what about from the digital standpoint where, I mean, I was even last night, I was able to get, uh, you know my personal shack here ham radio deluxe set up and it works with ws S J T X. and mm-hmm. you know probably in half hour i probably made 30 contacts i mean it was just you know it takes a cycle every minute to run through a contact but you can wrap up a ton of contacts just using ft4 ft8 uh, versus you know doing you know what takes the same time to do some voice single sideband contacts so is there any well, change around so- that
1: so let's, let's just finish up the band thing. Cause there's one oh, oh, more. we're also not going to accept CUSOs made on 60 meters, even okay. though it's not a work band. Right. And that, that's not under the, the work band philosophy. That's under the equitability philosophy because 60 meters is not a worldwide allocation. Correct. And, and even where it is, it doesn't always match. So just to, to keep access to the bands equitable across everybody who wants to participate in 140 countries, we're just not going to, uh, we're not going to use 60 either.
0: Makes sense. And, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome that you guys are now in 140 countries. That, that's incredible actually. So um, isn't it? it yeah. Is, it's well, just, it's just, it's just, that's crazy how much it's growing and, and I know I can kind of refer to that. Field day, you know, but we're also international. I mean, it's just, it's crazy uh-huh. how much that's growing in that regard. So it, it's uh, yeah. It's cool to see these organizations like this just kind of have a huge outreach um, overall, so.
1: Yeah, well, the best part of it is, and I don't know if you have this as well for the Winter Field Day organization, but for Parks on the Air, for us to be in a country requires us to have a volunteer in that country to be the admin for the park database. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, because I... I don't have any idea what the law is around who owns and operates parks in South Korea. I know they have parks, but I don't live in South Korea. I don't, I don't know the details of the law around park administration in South Korea. So it requires someone who is there, who knows the law, who understands how the parks work, who's willing to take responsibility for maintaining the park entity database— for that country. I would have never thought of so that. So in order to, yeah, in order to be in all those countries, we had to get at least one volunteer in all wow. of those countries. So when I say the POTA organization has grown, that, you know, that's what I mean. If it's 140 countries, there's minimum 140 mapping coordinators. Wow. Um, and, and it turns out it's way more than that because there's one for every state, but at least one for every right. state in the U.S. and a couple for Canada. And so... I know we talk about over a hundred. It's it's more accurate to say it's probably closer to three hundred yeah, people. I would say so involved in the POTA organization. So wow. Anyway, to answer your uh, your earlier question, n- n- no, there are no changes to digital modes. In okay. fact, POTA continues. This is one of the things that differentiates our event from a traditional contest. Uh, in every contest I've ever seen, the modes are phone digital CW. Right. So if you make a contact on FT8 and you contact the same person on FT4, that's a dupe. It's not a dupe for POTA. It'll be two individual contacts. So. It'll be two separate contacts, all the digital modes and all the phone modes. If you talk, if we have a QSO on sideband and I go, and let's just say we were on 10 meters in, in an appropriate spot. And I said, you know, hey, Marvin, uh, you flipped the mode switch over there to FM. Let's see if we can make this work on FM, and we make another QSO. That's another QSO. Sideband is different from FM. Correct. So we're going to continue to uh, to count all of that stuff. Well, it goes back to the idea that this is a hobby and it's supposed to be fun. Right. So I I just I really I don't get the whole oh you you made a contact on on sideband so now FM doesn't doesn't count like well. Why? I mean, have you ever tried it? Just because you made a contact on sideband does not mean FM is going to work. It's True. not a gimme. Um, and it's the same with the with the digital modes, right? Just because FT8 worked does not mean PSK is going to work. Oh, absolutely. So, so I uh, I love that we let people try whatever suits their fancy. And if you can get it to work, count it.
0: Absolutely. I'm, I'm I'm good with that. I think that's a great way to go as well. That's a good rule. I'm glad to keep that. Yeah. Around, so,
1: well, that's what I say to people who go, Oh, you could just run down the list of modes in FL Digi and get 30 QSOs. I go, Try it. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I think good Try luck it. with that one. Yeah. That's easy to say. Show me that you did it. And maybe we'll have a conversation about whether this shouldn't be counted
0: or not. Yeah. There's too many variables out there for that not to count otherwise. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh. it's way harder than anybody uh, anybody thinks it is. I know because I have tried. One of my favorite things to do is to go out to a local park, and I'll get on the repeater and drum up the club and say, okay, I'm at the park. So I'm going to start working you guys simply. I'll listen to the repeater input and see who I can hear. Well, let me work you two-meter simplex. Oh, and once I got you simplex, let's uh, let's try 440. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I happen to have 220 capability, so we'll try 220, and then and okay, I'm going to six meters. So everybody, turn on your six meter gear, and we'll try FM, we'll try sideband, we'll try AM. Um, run down and do some some CW. <laughs> you can crazy. rack up you can rack up a lot of QSOs with two or three people who happen to be bored in the afternoon. <laughs> Ground wave. <laughs> Right by trying all these different modes and 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 weirdo bands and such things, and uh, I got into it because I'm chasing a uh, an achievement we have in Pota called the N1CC award. It's uh, the award for working ten different bands from ten different parks. Oh, so I'm trying to rack up bands from uh, from different parks and working local guys ground wave on on bands that otherwise aren't necessarily open is a good way to do it.
0: Yeah, I um I've not heard of that award, so that's interesting. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Um that has has strangely
1: motivated me. Uh in fact, I ended up building a pair of CW rigs for the six hundred and thirty meter band, uh specifically so that I could add one more band to, uh, <laughs> to a couple of parks. It's, it's, it's complicated, right? Operating on 630 is not straightforward and you have to go through the registration process to let the powers that be know you're going to use this band and, and
0: whatever. But, uh, but it is possible. I, I have 630 meter QSOs in the POTA database. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Yeah. I'm still trying to work on my, I have one local park here. Um, I'm still trying to work on for good, get, just getting a kilo award uh, for that one. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, still challenging. I've always kind of created a KM4ACK put a challenge out about two years ago that, uh, you know, go out and operate, you know, once a month outdoors somehow. And that kind of got me more and more doing more parks on the air and trying to go to a new park all the time. Uh, But then I thought, you know what, why not just continue to try and do uh, one park and and make lots of contacts. And so uh, I think I've made every... Month except last November and February uh, of this year. I was not able to make that completion of those uh, of that. But I, you know, um, yeah,
1: well, I alternate not back, month, back and so, forth now
0: every month. Other than that, uh, working parks on the air. So, yeah. sure. Well, and it, it, some of it depends on time. It so does. I have
1: I have two parks that are, I don't know, 20 minutes away. I have a kilo at both of those parks. Uh, in fact, I have two kilos at the one of them.
0: <laughs> I continue your, to
1: go there. Yeah, work on your five thousand <laughs> now. Well, right. I I continue to go there simply because sometimes that's that's the amount of time I have. I just don't ha- if I if I want to go to a new park, I'm going to have to drive an hour, and I I don't have five hours to spend activating today. I, I only have an hour and a half. Right. I can take a long lunch. So. <laughs> I don't want to spend the whole thing driving. I want to be on the radio. So I go to the close park, which is the one I've been to. And that's why we have kilo awards, endorsements for kilo awards, repeat offender. And, uh, you know, even if I've if I only ever went to that one park, I never went to another park. I can continue to rack up the operator to operator awards and park to park counts and They've done a pretty good job of making sure that uh, you have benchmarks against which you can track your own personal progress
0: even if you don't have hundreds of parks available to you. That is, I must say the one thing about parks on the air, they, they have been very creative in, in terms of the, the number of types of awards that one can achieve by just doing parks, you know, simple parks on the air and getting out Yeah. At, at, at well, an event, like you said, whether it's one park or you've gotten to, you know, several hundred parks, uh, you definitely have different awards you can get, which is very, very cool from, you know, people, because some reason people really seem to like certificates and, and the, that sort of thing and and a shout out to uh, she does a pretty good job
1: of of hiding so i I won't out her here but it's actually (laughs) jason's uh jason's wife is the one who puts together the artwork and and does the design for all of the certificates and and i think has has significant input on hey this would be a good one that would be a good one or whatever so um yeah, Jason gets all the credit for being the main man for for Pota, but he's leaning heavily on the misses for help, and I don't blame him because <laughs> she's hidden, doing a fantastic job. Exactly, yeah. The other hidden half, <laughs> right, right. So, so anyway, the um, I'm trying to think if there are, are any other changes. I guess the only the only other thing uh, the rules about being a club haven't changed, but I don't know that they're, that they're well known. So it's a great activity. If you have a club, especially if you have a club that's struggling to come up with anything to do other than have your meetings in your nets, uh, POTA is a fantastic way to get people out and doing something that they're going to enjoy. It's uh, it's all the fun of field day and, and a lot less overhead. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And most people put what's field day every day. So
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and field day and, and winter field day, obviously, I mean, these are, these are great events, uh, but they're sort of, it's a commitment, right? If you want to participate in the entire thing, then uh, you, know, you got to be out there for two days and, and whatever else. Uh, a POTA activation, you know, it could be a half hour. True. So there's an accessibility thing to it there. But, it, but for a club to participate in the plaque event, there's two things. One, you're going to have to be a real club. You're going to have to have right at least three people, and you're going to have to have a, a club call sign with a trustee issued by the FCC or or whoever your agency is. Right. Uh, you you cannot just round up a couple of people and go get a special event call sign and and think you're going to compete as a club in the plaque event. We're we're not going to accept that. It's our goal is to foster. Clubs and club activity, because I continue to firmly believe that active, healthy clubs
0: are good for ham radio. Could a club get a special call sign for their for the event? Uh, They, they could, but please don't. Okay. Just, Please don't. We right. don't want pota activations people will be to be creative and come up with all kinds of stuff. So I just you yeah know, if no prefer the, people don't. It's good to let people know that. So yeah, we we don't want pota activations to become special
1: events. They're, they're not right. No, they're I agree. they're d expeditions is what they are. They're yeah. they're d expeditions. Little <laughs> mini de expeditions. So. Uh, and I'm sure the people handing out the special event call signs don't want POTA activations to become special events. No, and we don't really want them to become special events. Now, the flip is okay. The, here's an example: the club that I belong to locally happens to be having their 50th anniversary this year in 2023. Right. So we're gonna go get a special event call sign for a week to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the club. Good cause. And we're gonna do a we're gonna do a whole bunch of stuff during the week under that special event call sign. One of the things we're going to do is POTA activation. But that's a case where we got a special event call sign for an actual special event, and we happen to be doing POTA as part of the whole grander thing. Yep. We're not trying to turn the POTA activation into a special event. event. Makes sense. So. And I, I know that sounds like legalistic mumbo jumbo and hair splitting, but it really it really is different.
0: I, I, I totally, I, I totally agree with that. Absolutely. So, well, great, Matt. Uh, I really, uh, appreciate you coming on, you know, this morning. I think, uh, I know I think you may have another uh, event as well to attend and whatnot to potentially, but, uh, I, um, you know, I just want to say thanks for coming on to the ham radio guy podcast here this morning and just appreciate all the information you've shared about parks on the air. And, um, I I guess where can people go find out more information about this event and how do they, you know, uh, you know, if they have any questions, what what do they need to do? Your
1: best bet for information is to go to the poda.app website. And that is, uh, Pota.app, that is a website that is not an app in the app store. So Safari, Chrome, Firefox, whatever your browser is. Uh, Under the the menu system there, there's a documentation area where all of this is laid out. And in order to participate in the plaque event, you will need to be a registered Pota account holder. So luckily, you're already in the right place to do that if you're (laughs) not already signed up. Absolutely. And if you do have any specific questions about the and or, or POTA in general, there's an email address, help at parksontheair.com. You can email them and it's a great, great bunch of volunteers who uh, <laughs> who field an awful lot of email questions about POTA, the plaque event at, at
0: Al. So uh, feel free to email them at any time if you have POTA questions. Sure. And I know there will be a staff at Hamvention, uh, which is, you know, May 19th and 20th. And they, I'm sure, will will be able to help you just prior to that event. Also help you if you're attending Hamvention in Dayton. There'll be staff at the POTA booth at the Hamvention there. They'll be able to help you set that up and be right there on the website. And they have a computer there where they can help you uh, get logged in and signed up for POTA as well or Parks on the Air. So uh, feel free to reach out to them while you're there on site.
1: Correct. Photo booth will be in the same spot it was in last year. For those of you who who attended last year, and uh, I got I got an invite to do a photo talk for the forums. So Saturday at twelve ten, just uh, just afternoon, in Forum Two will be the Parks on the Air session.
0: All right, perfect. And.
1: Uh, I, I, bl- I believe that's breaking news here. So you got the scoop on that one. Got the scoop on
0: that, one, scoop on that one. That's great. <laughs> that's awesome. There you go. Well, uh, thank you very much. So uh, just all, if you're going to be at Hamvention this year, like I said, need help with Parks on the Air, they can help you at the Poda booth. And then also listen to Matt here uh, on Saturday, 12 uh, 10 at the Hamvention of Forum, Forum 2 room. Um, Matt, it's a pleasure speaking with you this morning. Thank you for everything. And we'll definitely uh, have some other uh, conversations outside of here uh, for some other relationship building uh, down the road as well. But uh, I just want to say thank you uh, for coming on this morning and, and being part of this. And uh, we'll be in no, touch happy, again soon. Happy to do it, Marvin. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure we can come
1: up with... Uh there's lots of overlap in, in uh, gear and motives and, and such things between POTA and winter field day. So uh, I'm sure we will meet again.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Good sir. enough. Have a good one and enjoy your Saturday. And I say 73. 73. All right. Well, that brings, uh, this, uh, uh, part of, uh, the show to a wrap. Uh, again, that was Matt near, uh, just like John Deere, I think he said, uh, in three NWV and, um, that will, uh, kind of get us through the, um, plaque event. Uh, hopefully that was something that you were able to uh, learn a little bit about and what that's going to consist of and go chase that award, um, you know, come June 3rd and 4th. So, um, we'll, from here, we'll move into a little bit of news and, uh, talk a little bit more about a couple of other things here. So one of the other things I wanted to talk about was the article I came across on amateur radio weekly. And this was a article talking about bouvet or Bove Island. The article was from EI seven GL, and he was talking about the basically the cost of the de expedition for three Y Zero J. And this has been one of the biggest and most expensive expeditions in recent times. I think this was also previously done like maybe two thousand five, two thousand seven, something like that. And and this island is located in the South Atlantic. The initial plan was to have you know twelve stations and and you know make like two hundred thousand contacts while they were there for the month of February here in twenty twenty three, and I think they encountered a lot of difficulty getting the equipment onto the island due to the rough seas, and were only able to operate a few stations uh, and make a significantly less uh, contacts than they anticipated. In fact, they only made a little over eighteen thousand contacts, which is only like nine percent of their target of the two hundred thousand. And so it was just seems like a huge amount of money for the little bit of contact that they made on this island for this D expedition. And so, you know, he wasn't sure if all the money was spent, everything else, but if it was, it comes out to be like a QSL which is you know pretty expensive overall and uh you know that was you know kind of the the whole matter of the article but he did come across something that um was said in a comment was talking about DQRM And I was like, DQRM? I've not heard what that is. So I went and did a little research around it and looked it up and found out that it's, you know, it's basically a lot of um, QRM on HF, but this is more targeted towards de-expeditions. And apparently on... Um, many expeditions uh, as, as much as we hear it on local repeaters and we'll hear it on AF from time to time is those people that have the malicious and intentful um, you know interference uh, with making noises and radio and everything else uh, on the different HF or, or local repeaters and so there's also a group out there that will do the same malicious intent to interrupt and interfere with a de-expedition and so um, there's apparently a worldwide effort to try and triangulate and, and narrow down and eliminate those people who are doing this. Um, and, and that was a lot of the problems that was encountered, apparently, with the Bovai Island expedition this time. And so it was one of those things that, uh, you know, started thinking about. It was like, well, will this interfere with. Uh, you know, future expeditions and, and uh, you know, does this make a challenge for others that want to go out and do this because this is something they you know, it's out of their control, but yet they, you know, want to be able to get out to those rare and targeted areas. And so, um, you know, when you have a, a, such an event plan like that and the amount of money that's invested in it, um, you know, and you have these, malicious stations uh causing a problem with future dx's um is that something that they're gonna you know want to be able to do and so um it was just kind of interesting talking about dqrm um and, and having that interference happen on DXpeditions, expeditions at which i never would have thought of um and, and kind of given the results of of the Bouvet Island as well, uh, knowing that it was worldwide, uh, the expectation and um, the uh, expected contacts to be made with that was much more significant lower than they anticipated. So uh, that was kind of the update on the Bouvet Island, and again, something I kind of learned a little bit about myself called DQRM, uh, with you know more specifically for D expeditions. And with that, um, I'm going to move right into some news. In the ARRL this year, this is the year of the volunteer for ARRL. And they're encouraging operators from around the world to make contacts with designated point givers. And point givers are consisting of AWR members, the board, all the staff, and they have different points that you can earn. You can check out more about this at vota, V-O-T-A dot A-R-R-L, to find out more today. You can find out the leaderboard, the list of activations and rules of the site, This event is using Logbook of the World to log all of the contacts. Get on the air today and start earning your points with the Volunteers of the Year uh, for ARRL. In other news, amateur radio operators throughout the world whose lives have been touched by autism are going to be getting on the air to help raise awareness of autism spectrum disorder during World Autism Awareness Week between March 25th and April 2nd. Operators will be looking to log stations using any mode of their choice with the goal of directing successful contacts to the events page on qrz.com. This is all about education. Amateurs in the United States will be using the call W-2A. I want to remind the listeners that young hams who live in the continental United States will have an opportunity to make news, if they are already doing so by If they're not already doing so, by being the recipient of this year's Amateur Radio Newsline, Bill Pasternak Memorial Young Ham of the Year Award, consider nominating an amateur radio operator 18 years or or younger, someone who has talent, promise, and a commitment to the spirit of ham radio. Find out application forms on our website, arnewsline.com under the Y-H-O-T-Y tab. Nominations are open May 1st and close May 31st. So go out and grab your application today and get that filled out for the Young Ham of the Year Award. All my news is sourced from the ARL News, Updates, and Amateur Radio News Line. And to some final things before we uh, wrap the show up here uh, is some Ham Fest. Uh, just a reminder all my Ham Fest uh, that I list here are t- typically in the Delta division. Check out ARL Hamfest Ham Fest schedule page for local Ham Fest near you. The Tullahoma Ham Fest in Tennessee will be March 11th, 2023. Sevierville will be March 18th, which is out near Pigeon Forge. Uh, Gatlinburg area, always a wonderful area to go visit. A beautiful area out there in the mountains as well. Uh, Corinth, Mississippi, uh, April 1st. That is no April Fool's. Greenville, Tennessee, not sure exactly where that one's at. Uh, It'll be on March 15th. 2023 and of course qso today ham fest will be online from march 25th through the 26th well That brings this show to a close this week and I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you'll submit your subscribe button and share with friends and hope that you learned something as well this week that will help you in your ham radio operations. If you'd like to help support the channel and become a patron, look for me on buymeacoffee.com slash thehamradioguy to join today. As always, this is your ham radio buddy in the chair and on the air, the ham radio guy. I say 73. W0 MET.